What's going on, folks? Contender Series Week 4. A little bit tardy on the breakdowns here for you guys. Uh, I blame Haley Cowan. And uh, who the fuck is that chick she's fighting? I probably just got uh, screwed in the algorithm by swearing that early in a podcast. But it is what it is. Yeah, Claudia Leti. Good God, those women put me to sleep. <laughs> that was probably the worst tape I've ever had to watch in my life. Um, you guys know me. I like to go through most fighters with like a fine tooth comb or with a fine tooth comb. And uh, I chose to do that with Haley Cowan and, and Claudia Leite. And it took me a long time to get through that tape. And before I knew it, it was like 4.30 a.m. So I'm like, you know what? Let me set my uh, live stream, at least, so people know that I'm still doing a live stream. Let me set it for noon EST. And then here I come waking up, and I see uh, everybody messaging in the live chat. I'm like, what, what are you guys talking about? What's going up? <laughs> What's going on? Why is everybody messaging at 10.30 a.m.? And then I look at my stream yard, and I see that it's set for 10 a.m. Wonderful. That's what happens when you set live streams at 4.30 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> but here we are, fully rested, ready to break down some contender series fights for you guys, which take place in just about seven and a half hours. Uh, so I'm looking forward to at least watching the fights. Uh, while watching the fights, I'll be doing my write-ups for UFC 278. Maybe do a quick uh, tape index update as well as the Lock of Night and Dog of the Night challenge updates as well. So plenty on the board for your boy today. Luckily, the wife is actually uh, busy at work. She's actually going to be pulling an all-nighter or an overnighter today uh, because the family that she works for, they're actually expecting their second child today. So she's uh, going to be looking after their first child. Um, so she's going to be wrapped up for a watch. Gives me all the chances in the world to just work straight through. You know I mean, work from now until I go to sleep, maybe the same thing tomorrow as well. But I want to, you know, put a put a nail in this coffin of the uh, consecutive fight weeks that we've been having for the UFC. Back to 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 back. UFC events. But uh, Contender Series is still around, so I'll definitely be still I'll still be doing the Contender Series breakdown on Sunday evening for you guys for the next event, um, and then obviously the MMA Lock Talk I'll be doing throughout that off week as well. So just keeping the content steady on the channel. All right, um, I'm blabbering a little bit too much. I'm starting to get into MMA Lock Talk mode, but this is actually for the uh, Contender Series breakdown. So let me just quickly see what the chat is in here real quick, and then I'll get into the breakdowns. D Sig in the chat, appreciate you stopping by. DXJC saying. This contender series lineup is particularly weak, top to bottom, compared to all the other weeks what we've had thus far. There's a couple guys I'll say that actually stand out to me here, but I gotta think that this is the uh, closest lineup, uh, or at least um, in terms of odds that we've had the entire time. So, um, yeah, I, I don't mind it. Uh, in terms of a competitive type of thing right rather than just squash matches which it seems to be although we've had a couple upsets as well in the first couple weeks never mind in the chat appreciate you stopping by laws one dream saying will you have a play on the patreon for contender series tonight i will not i don't have anything i was i am as confident in as i was with that play that i had last week moise audio forever trolling with the carousel i love you my brother 
<laughs> Jordan Shepard saying I have way too much on Hassan. Hassan's out of money line. Or Pokem saying at least one good volume spot this card. I agree. Um, if I can get access to props, and that's the big thing, right? Not a lot of people have access to props for the contender series, but if I have access to props, there are definitely a couple of spots that I do like violence as well, which I'll highlight very shortly. My guy Marcus Williams in the chat saying, enjoying the show, watching between customers, keep up the good work. Appreciate the love as always. King Don in the chat, appreciate you stopping by. Moise Audio with the love. Appreciate you as well, my friend. All right, let's get into the breakdowns, right? We got five fights to go over. Let's not take too long doing so. First fight on the card is the one that I'm most excited about. We got Nazim Sadikov going up against, uh, I'm still trying to figure, oh, it's Ahmed. Who's a, I just nailed it. I just said the guy's name. How am I fucking it up already? Ahmed Hassanzada, um, in terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 190 for Nazim and plus 160 for Hassanzada. Fun fight here between two guys that uh, like to scrap, like to throw, usually are the guys inflicting damage in their fights. You know what I mean? Uh, we'll start off on the Sadikov side. He is a Saralongo product. Uh, he's 6-1. and one. His only loss came in his first professional belt where he got tapped out by uh, a jiu-jitsu black belt after he stumbled after throwing a spinning attack. Uh, Juan Galarza was the guy's name. He was able to get his back, and he ended up choking him out there uh, about four minutes into that first round of that fight. But since then... He's been on an absolutely uh, demolishing streak or a, a demolition streak, I should say. Knocked out his next opponent in a, a minute. Knocked out his next opponent in the first round. Went the full 15 minutes against Elijah Harris, but that was one where Elijah was trying to get his grappling going. Most of the time, Nazim was on the defensive, but even while defending, he was the one landing the better strikes and uh, was obviously able to hurt Elijah Harris multiple times in that fight. Ended up grinding out that third round, but clearly won a decision that night uh the john herrera fight uh, another kind of close fight both guys having their opportunities but it was ultimately nazim sadikov who was able to hurt him on multiple occasions and then eventually get him out of there via rear naked choke in the third uh the juan carlos de leon fight another one where he had to defend a lot of takedowns but it ended up being his power that got cast him that or Cast him uh, a solid win that night. And then the Joe Borshig fight. Uh, tall motherfucker he was going up against at 155 pounds. Joe Borshig, you know, we've seen him against other regional talent at this point in time. He is uh, he is definitely not five foot eight as topology has him listed. I think he's closer to 6'1", 6'2", but he gets knocked out there. The other guy that he had fought was actually Josh Quinlan. Um, that's where I kind of remember this Joe Borshik guy from. But Nazim seems to have a solid wrestling base, solid uh, grappling defense as well, but a lot of big power in his hands. And I think that's where he gets his best work done. Uh, and then on the flip side for Ahmed Hassanzada, we're talking about an Afghani fighter who, before his last fight, finally made the switch over here to America because we know if you're fan, if you're in one of those countries, Afghanistan or you know Israel or something like that, you really need to move on over to the Americas somewhere so that you can open up more opportunities for yourself. Now, I'm not trying to rag on the level of training or training partners or anything that they're getting over there in their home countries, but in terms of furthering your career and wanting to get to the UFC or wanting to get to one of these big shows, you got to move over to the US and and you know get, get linked up with um 
top flight managers, all that type of stuff. And that's what Hassan Zada was getting, especially once he uh, moved over to Team Alpha Male, which is the ch- uh, gym that he now trains out of. I was very impressed with what I saw out of this guy. You know, I mean, a lot of uh, activity, very offensive off of his back, has uh, a long, rangy game where he uses a lot of big power. Takedown defense, super skeptical, but I think it's because he's so comfortable off of his back. And uh, a lot of guys have not been able to deal with him well. Uh, because of that, uh, he only has one loss on his record to Piotr Burko, but to me, that looked like a very bad stoppage. I mean, he got hit with a big ground and pound shot. His head kind of bounced off the cage, but he was like right in it, was all actually in the process of wrapping up one of his, uh, his opponent's legs as well, and the referee stopped it. Very bad, bad stoppage in my opinion. I could see how the optics looked to the referee, but you got to give the guy a couple of seconds after getting hit to show you whether he's there or not. And he was definitely there. Uh, yeah, a lot of his fights were him just, you know, locking up submissions off of his back or cutting up his opponents off of his back. You know, most recently his fight with James Willis, which was, or sorry, James Wilson, which was uh, his uh, North American debut over there in LFA. He was able to touch up uh, Wilson off of his back, cut him up very badly, uh, and then really start to take over at the later that that fight went. James Wilson was a solid wrestler, but even when he got the fight to the ground, he was losing the fight even while being on top because he just could not posture up or get anything off with fear of uh, you know getting submitted or getting touched up from the from top position with uh, elbows uh, by a. Hassan Zada. I'm very excited about this fight. You know, I mean, this is one that I feel like the fight doesn't go to decision is probably the best way to go about it. Uh, it currently sits around minus 230, under 2.5 is around minus 200. I'm expecting all violence pretty much all the time. Uh, I do absolutely uh, lean on Sadiqov, though. Uh, I'm just not a big fan of the price tag at minus 190. Um, because this is one of those spots where Hassan Zada could end up being Tony Ferguson, right? And what I mean by that is if you're able to get better dominant positions and not just hang out in full guard, you could absolutely shut down his offensive nature jujitsu game, right? Get into half guard, get into side control. And that's where I think that Sadikov will be able to have tremendous success. Even on the feet, I think he has big power. I think he could be able to touch that tall man defense of Hassan Zada. But absolutely, Ahmed is live in this fight to go out there and get a finish of his own, which is why I would rather lean with the under 2.5 rather than taking the chalk on Nazim because you're getting the same price for the under 2.5. Again, the only reason I'm skeptical in terms about giving it out as an actual play is because I know not a lot of bookies actually release props for... um, for the contender series, but I do like the under two and a half the most in this fight. I'm going to leave Nazim as I think he'll be able to get a TKO at a certain point in this fight. But Hassan Zada is a very, very live dog. I gotta say, the livest dog on the card, considering the rest of the fights are pretty much pickups outside of the main event. But I definitely say that Hassan Zada is more alive than Thomas Paul. So give me Sadikov by decision, but take the violence bet if you get the chance. Problem kids saying got COVID for the fourth time off work all week. Let's make this spread, my brother. Appreciate you stopping by. King Don saying Ahmed KO round one. Absolutely live. Uh, Marcus Williams, five bucks. Appreciate the dono, my friend. We'll always remember you, my friend. Nigel Lee saying, what's up, Lock? Glad to clash this live. Glad you were able to stop by as well, my friend. Elijah Dream saying, let's go Team Saralongo. I agree. Hafikin in the chat saying, what's up, Lock? Let's make some money, baby. I'm right there with you, my friend. Um, again, be very careful paying the chalk on Sadiqov because Hassan Zada is very live in this spot. All right, let's move on to the next fight here, and it is the fight 
that caused me to not be able to do my stream last night because I spent way too long on Haley Cowan versus Claudia Leite. And in terms of odds, we're getting minus 120 on Cowan, plus 100 on Claudia Leite. I'm even seeing minus 130 on Claudia Leite on a bet online and plus 110 for Haley Cowan. So line all over the place for this fight, and I completely understand why. You know what I mean? I, I'm both women have shown massive holes in their game. Haley Cowan, just two fights ago, gets submitted by a one-and-two fighter who has yet to fight since that fight, but uh, she gets clipped on the chin in round two by Kay uh, Kelly Clayton, and then eventually gets guillotine choke there. Uh, I think it was actually a different choke, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know what... I don't feel like it was a guillotine from what I remember. Either way, uh, Kelly Clayton in round one was throwing up a lot of submissions because Haley Cowan wanted to get that fight to the ground and impose her strength and her size on her opponent. Unfortunately, she was not able to stay safe enough even while in top position. And I think you could probably even score that first round for Kelly Clayton off of her back. But we didn't have to worry about judges at all. Like I said, Kelly Clayton was able to uh, land a big shot on Haley in the second round, early second round and then turn it into a club and sub opportunity, which she was absolutely successful in. She bounced back with a win over Monica Franco in the Invicta FC cage. But, uh, you know, you're talking about, I think Monica Franco was like 36 years old, only two fights, or 37 years old now. She was probably 36 when that fight took place back in January of this year. But, uh, you know, she seemed like a, a fighter that was just going in there just to fight, not really with much longevity Uh you know, longevity hopes of, of being in the MMA world for too long, especially with the 2-0 record at 36 years old. Um, uh, you know, Haley, uh, a lot of her game seems to be trying to take opponents to the ground, trying to use her frame and her size and her strength to take these women to the ground and just grind them out there. But she's not really doing it with the best of, you know, best of success. I mean, she's struggling against one and one opponents, two and two opponents, five and five opponents, even a a, a boxer, a two and one boxer who put her in trouble multiple times, even at a, a deep rear naked choke at times as well. Not a good look. Oh, and did I forget to mention that she actually lost to Victoria Leonardo in both of their professional MMA debuts, especially when Kaylee or Haley Cowan was coming into the LFA as a highly touted prospect. You know, she she had a three and zero. Amateur record, and there was a ton of hype on her. So the LFA decided to sign her to a four or five fight deal right off the jump, and uh, they paid for it right off the bat as Victoria Leonardo was able to get that rear naked choke uh, in the first round and spring the upset. Not the first time that Victoria Leonardo has been able to spring an upset, right? If you guys remember on the contender series, the way she punched her ticket to the UFC was defeating uh, that uh, Australian Thai chick. I don't remember her name off the top of my head, but she was able to defeat her by uh, ground and pound. Uh, and stamped her ticket to the UFC on the contender series there. So, yeah, very sketchy record for Haley Cowan. It seems like she has a solid striking game if she actually puts some effort behind it. And what I mean by that is, like, using her range because she seems to have decent technique, throwing her one-twos down the middle. But, like, she just insists on wrapping up with her opponent, dragging them to the ground, and trying to outwork them there. I don't know how well that's going to work against a girl like Claudia Leite, who, you know, has shown some own hold in her game. You know, if you want to talk about the first couple of fights that I watched of hers, it was actually the Fernanda Barbosa fight where she, you know, it looked like absolute dog shit. Let's be honest. Both women thrown with no technique, uh, gassing out, you know, four minutes into the fight, yet that fight went to the third round and Barbosa was able to land a body shot to crumble Claudia Leite and get her out of there. 
And then she goes up in her next fight against a 36-year-old 4-0 fighter coached by Jessica Andrade and that PRVT team. Um, and another very sloppy fight. Both women looking gassed, you know, two minutes into that second round. It was eventually Jamila Sandora who was able to put on big, big punches on her uh, and uh, eventually get that decision victory herself. But good God, did Claudia Leite look horrible. And after just watching those two fights alone, I was like, how the fuck is this girl getting a contender series shot? Is this like a a setup shot for, for Haley Cowan to finally get a ticket into the UFC? And then you see the transformation between that Sandora fight and the Tanera fight. You're like, hmm, Astra fight team. I see you guys. No, I even see Claudia Leite and all that possible sauce that she may have incorporated into her training camps because she looked like a much different woman going into that fight. She was able to land a beautiful knee a minute, or sorry, two minutes into that fight against uh, Alessandra Tenera, and uh, she was able to get her out of there relatively quickly. And, and just going back to Sandora, that chick looked like a porn star. Let's be honest. Like she clearly fake titties, clearly fake ass, clearly worked on on her face so if you guys haven't seen that fight go back and watch that fight but she lost to that chick back then you know not looking good at all and then she just comes back again after joining astro fight team she looks in phenomenal shape she has traps like she has muscles like and then in the next fight you see against uh janana janana i'm butchering these names this morning i apologize guys but the second barbosa chicks that she fights you see the clear um increase in her cardio as well like she looks great which is why she's able to finish her opponent halfway through that second round even the priscilla de souza fight priscilla the killer that chick looks like uh you know somebody that just is a pro wrestler like her name literally on the screen was the killer hilarious but she was like this short you know kind of thicker chick that just threw a lot of heat tried to impose her own will with her size as well on her opponents but she was unable to do that against claudia Leti, who you know, was able to survive that early onslaught from D'Souza, get her own takedowns and grind her out from on top. But she did not look anywhere near close to tiring out as she did in her previous fights that I watched before, as you could probably tell due to the enhancements that she's probably gotten to her nutrition, I should say. Then the next fight against Tana Lamonier, uh, that was a five-round title fight where she actually got a rear naked choke in the fifth round. And that was due to, again, I think due to some PED she was probably on. She looked phenomenal in that fight. She was landing some big shots. She was getting her takedowns at will, and she was able to grind out her opponent in that spot. Hilarious. Hilarious, 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 that fight, honestly. So I do lean on the Claudia Leite side here ever so slightly, but I think that this fight's going to turn into a, a back-and-forth grappling match, which is why I'd rather play the fight goes to decision at minus one, uh, 175. Uh, I think both these women, it's clear what their path to victories are, right? Like it's, uh, well, it's, it's not even a path to victory. It's how they fight. They look to get fights to the ground. They look to grind out their opponents, and they hope to um, really, you know, uh, impose their will on them. And give me one second. I am feeding Alfred here one second. He's a little. There you go. Apologies for the uh, Alfred soundtrack in the back. He has like two more scoops of his uh, lunch left here before he's done. But um, yeah, just based on the sauce, probably got to go to the Claudia Letty side, right? Haley Cowan, I don't know what the big whoop on, was, on her was before because like if she stuck with her striking, she could probably end up being a good prospect but for some reason she feels like she can use her her size and her strength against her opponents but when opponents are able to 
use her jujitsu effectively, she doesn't look the greatest, right? Leiti, she could use her jujitsu here and look pretty effective. But I think that both these women are going to be jockeying for a position a lot. I think it's going to be a boring fight. I think it's going to be back and forth. But I do lean on the Leiti side ever so slightly. Not to the extent of actually pulling the trigger here, though. Let's be honest. I, 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 I just can't get behind spending money on either one of these. The way that I kind of broke it down in my Patreon uh, breakdown was either take the fight goes to decision and then hedge out with the uh, late by submission at plus 300. Last night when I saw it, it was at plus 350. It actually opened up at plus 550. Now it's down to a plus 300, just to let you guys know that like that's probably the way that this fight goes is by um, late uh, either getting a submission or grinding out Cowan in the spot. So very close fight. If anybody has a convicted opinion on this fight, I'm going to call bullshit because either I think neither of these women will cut it in the UFC. Um, so I'm very surprised that they actually ended up getting a shot here on the contender series. So give me Leite, Leite by decision, but uh, I think the sub is live here as well. King Don saying 31 versus 25. Yes. I can't believe Cowan is actually up there in age like that. Yeah, she's 30, actually. She was born in 92. Uh, Jordan Shep saying Hassan Zada looked mean at the weigh-in face-offs. Yes. But if Paul Craig has taught us anything... Uh, how you look at the face-off still means shit. Elazwan Dream saying names are tough this week. Absolutely. <laughs> Nigel Lee saying, right, I need nicknames. They're not that bad. Let's be honest. Uh, my Russian friend here saying, can Leite take down Cowan? Cowan looks really big for this division according to weigh-ins. Also, I like this uh, over in Sadikov and Zada fight. Both look tough and ready. I don't know about over in the Sadikov fight. I think that we'll see violence there for sure. Um... Yeah, I'll lean. I'll still lean with the Leite side again. I think it's going to come down to just sloppy transitions where Leite might be able to get to opposition. Cowan is big. That is absolutely for sure. But like, I, I just can't trust her either. I really can't. Tajik Bay in the chat. The eyes of bear upon you. <laughs> Been a while since I see my guy in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by, my friend. Hope all is well. All right, so like I said, Leite by decision or sub, but I would prefer the over more than anything or the fight goes to decision. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Let me just take a quick sip of water here before I continue on. <clears throat> also, shout out to the CME. If anybody listens to the Coleman event podcast, it is surreal as hell to me to be. Um, it was surreal as hell to me to 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 be a part of the action network, which is actually what Ben Folks is a part of as well. If anybody knows, uh, if anybody watches the Coleman event podcast or knows of Ben Folks, but he does some write ups for the action network as well. And usually we're in the same email threads now. And it's so surreal to me because this is a guy I've been following since I pretty much got into the sport. Ben Folks has been around for a long time. So to see him in the same uh, email chains as me has been very surreal for me. But shout out to the CME, shout out to the Coleman event podcast. All right. 
Let's get into the next one here. We're going to be talking about a bantamweight fight. We got the Cage Warriors bantamweight champion going up, uh, Jack Cartwright going up against Jose Johnson, who's going to be looking to finally secure his UFC contract in his second appearance on Dana White Contender Series. This fight is a pick em too. If anything, we're seeing a little bit of love on the Jose Johnson side. But as I say that, I see that Betway actually has Jack Cartwright as a minus 120 favorite in this spot. So if you guys remember, uh, Jose Johnson, we'll start off on that side. He got his first uh, um, shot on the Contender Series back in 2020 when he went up against Ronnie Lawrence as a minus 340 favorite. Ronnie Lawrence springs the upset that night. But uh, we finally see why now concerning the type of potential that a lot of people believe that he has. Uh, Ronnie Lawrence ended up landing 12 takedowns that night, if I'm not mistaken, and grinded Jose Johnson through the mat. Jose Johnson followed that up with a decision victory on Valor Fighting Championships, or Challenge, I should say, excuse me, and then got starched in 32 seconds for the Looking for a Fight version of Fury FC back in May of 2021, where Mano Martinez was able to secure his contract with the UFC. Or I think he got, yeah, he secured his contract with the UFC. That was another guy. I think that was a fight between both guys who were on the contender series who came up short, and this was another opportunity for them to make it, and he ends up getting it. Then on the next edition, I'm looking for a fight for Fury FC in November of 2021. Mo Miller, another contender series reject, who actually got his hand raised on the contender series, but was too boring for Dana White's uh, for Dana White's eye. So they decided to line them up uh, against each other here. Jose Johnson against Mo Miller. Jose had a lot of success early in that fight with uh, grappling, getting close submission chokes or, or rear naked chokes, I should say. But he seemed to gas himself out trying to get that submission ultimately getting submitted himself in the second round by Jose Johnson, who's mainly known as a Muay Thai striker, but he does show some offense off of his back. And that's something that's he's had to improve, especially considering how he's been losing the majority of his fights earlier in his UFC or earlier in his professional MMA career. He has to go out there and really put it on his opponents, on the feet, off of his back, on top of his opponents to really uh, find success in his fights. But big win for him against Mo Miller, especially considering that he was a big underdog going into that fight. He followed that up with a 12-second KO over Dulani Perry, not understanding why that fight was put together, but he did manage to punch himself another ticket into the contender series to hopefully make it to the UFC. On the Jack Cartwright side, I'm kind of impressed with what I've been seeing from this guy, right? He's 10-0, a lot of big wins outside of that headbutt uh, DQ win that he got in his last fight against uh, Sylvester Miller. Uh, Sylvester Miller just kept getting Jack Cartwright down and was able to control him. Unfortunately, he headbutted him so many times because he just kept doing this thing where he kept lifting his head to get momentum for his ground and pound, but it seemed like he was bringing his head and his punches at the same level. So like he would tap a little bit with the punch, but hit even more with the head. The guy has a big head as well. Let's be honest. So <clears throat> he pretty much got himself disqualified. Jack Cartwright ends up defending his title. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it turns out, you know, that that is like the only time that we've really seen Jack Cartwright struggle. You know, he's been able to either land his big overhand right against his opponents. He's been either able to drag these guys to the ground and get the, get a submission he is an offensive-minded bantamweight, you know, looking for the finish pretty much every single time. Out of his 10 pro fights, only one 
has uh, gone the decision. And that was that Manuel Bilic fight, which I believe was the fight that he actually ended up winning his uh, his title in. Oh, sorry, he uh, was defending it for the first time. But he won that fight by grinding out Manuel over 25 minutes. I slightly lean him here, but I am a little bit concerned that the striking, it might be a little bit too far ahead of his time, uh, at least on the Jose Johnson side, right? Johnson, much more versatile striker, very long and rangy, going to be very tough for uh, Cartwright to close that distance and get his shots off. I could see a possible like overhand right counter landing for Jack Cartwright to put uh, Jose Johnson down. But I think that Cartwright's going to need to wrestle here to have true success. And even on the ground, like, We've seen Jose Johnson be very offensive off of his back, so he can make things uh, very difficult for Jack Cartwright. But I still do think that Cartwright will end up coming out with his hand raised in the spot. Uh, I think he'll be able to get the takedowns without too much difficulty. And then from there, I think he'll be able to find a sub. But just like previous fights, I would much prefer la- uh, leaning on a, uh, uh, a time prop here, under two and a half. Minus 200. Fight doesn't go to decision. Minus 250. I think that's all correct here as I think we're going to see all violence all the time from the, all these guys. Whether it's a finish on the feet from Jose Johnson or a finish on the feet from an overhand right from Cartwright or a submission on the ground from Cartwright. I think both these guys have plenty of finishing uh, abilities up their sleeve, but I do lean on the Jack Cartwright side ever so slightly. I do think his wrestling will be the de- determining factor here. I'm not 100% sure that it will be enough to get Johnson down, but I think that it will be able to cause Johnson to think a little bit too much, and I think it's going to eventually get him taken down. And, um, you know, from the level changes to the big overhand rights that Jack will be throwing, you know, we've seen some tricky uh, takedowns landed from the car right side as well. Very fun fight. I'd say the fight that I'm, you know, looking forward to second most after the Hassan Zada fight. But, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to take Cartwright here. I don't mind the the line that he's at, but I think this fight is pretty close. But I do think that we'll see a finish regardless. So give me Cartwright, Cartwright by sub. <clears throat> uh, Jordan Woodard saying, Paul Craig did let me down. Weigh-in, stare-downs, do nothing for what a fighter can do inside the cage. Remember that, folks. Juice Better saying, if this was a year ago, I'd have slammed my bankroll on Leite, and I can just put a small bet in. She should win. I hope so. My uh, respect from Russia, by the way, love watching MMA breakdowns and becoming better at analyzing fights. Yes, uh, I saw my guy Juice Better saying, uh, make sure you put the Y instead of the I, because analyzing is completely different from uh, analyzing. <laughs> <laughs> Please let me know, my friend. Uh, how do you actually say your name? Because obviously I can't read Russian, but I would love to be able to call you by your name. Let me know how I can do that. Jordan Woodard saying his gas tank in the last matchup was not good. Um, uh, problem kids saying, be careful with that, guys. He looked ready for a contract. All these fighters want a contract or they wouldn't be fighting. Bingo, my friend. Bingo. Tammy Goodry saying, what I miss? Not much. Just hit that rewind and you'll be able to catch everything else, my my friend. Problem Kids saying, Cartwright is a dog. Johnson in for a long night. I agree. JK saying, I appreciate you putting out your thoughts on these lock. Lady is probably my favorite pick on the card. Low-level low level women's MMA. Take the better grappler. Here's the, here's the thing, though. Cowan is probably the better wrestler. Once I hit the ground, Lady is probably better, but... You know, things could get sketchy. I do agree with you. Leite is probably the side, but man, I don't want to have any of my money, t- uh, you know, risking on that fight. Absolutely not. 
Urban Men in New Jersey saying Nazim struggles a lot against the cage. Not that it matters with Ahmad. However, Ahmad has pretty good BJJ in transition and has soul striking kind of like uh soul striking kind of like Sabit. Yeah. He's fun to watch. He's definitely fun to watch. The guy goes out there and he is a fucking fighter. I think the guys uh, on the LFA commentary team put it perfectly, right? They're like, you know, James Wilson, guy has a cushy job where he's making, you know, good money. Whereas Hassan Zara, this is all he knows. All he knows is fighting. He just wants to fight and make it to the UFC and make a career out of this. We saw it evident in that fight. I won't say that Nazim struggles too much against the cage. I think it's his opponents want to get him to the ground. And from what I've seen, Nazim defend properly, properly on the cage. Because once he's able to break back into to range and, and back into the open cage, that's where you see his opponents really start to be like, oh shit, I got to get him back against the cage. Otherwise, I'm going to be eating these big shots. So yes, I see that he's losing minutes up against the cage. But like, there's been fights where he's winning even while defending off the cage because he's the one landing damage. So I wouldn't say he struggles. I say I, I see it more so as his opponents try to put him there to try to nullify his big power. Juice Perry saying a great GK, JK, JK. God damn it, man. Get it together. Uh, she probably is the better grappler and Cowan got taken down by a boxer, but tread light. I would have signed this a year ago. The comp level is too low to know how good Leite's grappling is. I agree. Optic Rising saying Jack is a lock. Ooh, big, big thoughts there, my friend. Uh, Lajon Dream saying, uh, well, Jewish better dying as well. Yes. Analyzing and analyzing. There we go. Or Pokem is saying, Kirill. Is that is that his name? Like, I could see how you could spell Kirill out of those Russian letters, considering like K is the obvious K. The I would be the backwards N. R would be the P. I is the N. Backwards N, and then the L's are the actual N's or pi signs. Is that true? <laughs> Prison Mike, back in the clink, Jack was tapped by a triangle on the low low. Jack was tapped by a triangle. Was he? How did I miss that? Uh, Jewish better saying yes, like baby Fedor. Optic Rising saying show me. Repogam saying, yeah, or a Kirill, literally. Cool. I'm guessing you're Russian, Repogam. Then how do you say this guy's name? Shout out to this guy as well, because he's always a, a big supporter in the live streams as well. He's saying, uh, he's saying I think Haley Cowan pulled the upset and Thomas is good underdog. Um, I haven't gotten to the Thomas fight, but Haley Cowan, you know, not very much of an upset, um, considering that this fight is a pick -em. So can't really call it an upset. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got two fights left. We're going to be talking about, uh, uh, well, uh, sorry, a middleweight fight here between two guys who, you know, on tape look like they could be light heavyweights or heavyweights. Uh, we're going to be talking about <clears throat> Claudio Hibero coming in at minus 105 against Ivan Valenzuela coming in at minus 115. This fight is the epitome of a coin toss. You know, I mean, both guys pretty much have the same skill set they like to go out there they like to throw big shots their opponents have the same intentions as well they want to just grind these guys up against the cage try to take away uh any big power but unfortunately for them more often than not they're able to find the power and all of claudio hibero's wins one by finish um in his last fight though i saw him get grinded out by a 40 year old 
over about four and a half rounds before the, the big power of Hibero finally caught up with uh, Albuquerque and was able to, you know, finish him, you know, just under that four and a half round mark. But it didn't look good for him. You know, he's getting grinded on a lot. He did a good job in terms of nullifying the, the success that Albuquerque was able to have from that top position as he was always cognizant in terms of working his way back to his feet, but he kept getting trapped up against the cage and he sh- that's where he struggled. You know, shout out to the guy that was saying that Nazim was struggling up against the cage. Albuquerque was really struggling to get, or sorry, Hibero uh, was really struggling to get off the cage there. Uh, we saw him, you know, knock out uh, so many other guys. He has big power. He has wide winging shots. You know, that's the, the big concern that I have about him is that he's a brawler. The guy is athletic. He's explosive. He has a lot of finishing capabilities. And I think that's why they have him matched up here against Ivan is because we we fully expect this fight to be fireworks. I don't think either guy is going to be looking to grapple here because I think they both rely on getting their opponents out of there with their big power and their big strikes. Um, Ivan, uh, usually fighting on the Lux Fight League uh, promotion. Uh, I believe that's been on the Fight Pass for a long time now. But uh, another spot where we see him more often not trying to or, or get grinded out by his opponents <clears throat> or attempted to get grinded out by his opponents, but he always finds a way out of those spots and then eventually finishes them by knockout. I was not able to find tape on the Ricardo Chavez fight, which is the only fight that Valenzuela has won by decision, albeit that guy was nine and an eight going in against uh, Valenzuela. Uh, that guy is now 16 and 13, but since fighting Ivan, uh where is it here since fighting ivan he's gone five six seven seven and four so not too bad again big power from both guys here very easy fight to break down but very tough to call which guy is actually going to be able to knock yeah get the finish the spot that i'd be looking at is under one and a half minus 115 i'm expecting big power from both guys and somebody to land uh, early um, fight doesn't go to decision if you have access to that. Very parlayable at minus 330, but I'm expecting one of these guys to get the finish. I'm leaning on the Valenzuela side ever so slightly because I see him being the one throwing these, you know, cleaner, crisper shots down the middle compared to the big winging hooks of Claudio Hibero. But both these guys can land with just as much power and knock each other up. I There's no other way to break this fight down. It's just very close. The last thing I'll say about this and ultimately why I am leaning on the Ivan Valenzuela side Another guy like Claudio Leite or another fighter like Claudio Leite where you see a complete transformation from one fight to the other. Enrique Granados was the first fight that I saw for Ivan Valenzuela, and that was in November of 2019. And that fight took place at 170 pounds, as did all of Valenzuela's fights up until that point. Then something happened. Maybe a diet change? Maybe some sauce? But between November November 2019 and July 2020, Valenzuela gained a bunch of weight, mostly muscle, and now competes at 185 pounds, and he looks like a fucking Adonis sculpted out of marble. The guy is absolutely cut up and shredded now and looks way bigger than he did in that Ferreira fight, or that, sorry, that Granados fight. And that Granados fight, that was a fight where he just got taken down and grinded out. You know, he was the smaller guy there. And I'm like, oh, look, this is a perfect spot for uh, Ivan to, you know, go out there and get a knockout. And what I'll, again, I'll reiterate this to you guys. When I research these guys, I just open up the tape index and I start watching the fights right away. I don't look at their topology. I don't look at their Instagram. I don't look at anything. 
I just watch the fights because I want to create my own narrative and I want to create my own image of these guys without looking at the record and be like, oh, this guy's eight and one. Okay, so I know he loses this fight or he wins these fights. I want to be surprised. And I thought he was going to go out there and knock out this Granados guy because he was much bigger than him. Because look, look at this. Ivan is six foot two. Granados, a 170-year who's now 37, was 5'9". So he was completely outsized in that matchup, but he was able to land knock or able to land takedowns and grind him out. Uh, but then since then, like I said, we saw Ivan more than likely get on the sauce, and he's been able to uh, put together a winning streak that has earned him a shot in the contender series. Now he's also training out of Extreme Couture now. Uh, you know that obviously will help his uh, longevity within the sport. Obviously, getting good training partners, good coaching, and obviously the connects to get this contender series shot. But I think he'll be the cleaner, crisper striker, eventually landing that big shot on Hibero and putting him out. But I'm not counting out the Hibero finish as well. Another spot, just like the Haley Cowan fight, where I'm like, if anybody has supreme confidence in this fight, I'm calling bullshit because both guys have big power. Fight doesn't go to decision would be the play. Parlay that if you want. But I'm going to lean with Ivan Valenzuela. All right, let's see. What the chat is saying here. Repogan saying, uh, no, I'm Canadian, but learning Ukrainian, so also learning the alphabet. Cool. Nice. Ivan E. Boy. Otez Utuba. Ivan. Hoping that's what it is. Problem Kid saying, which guy has a 9 and 5... Oh, which guy has a 9-5? That's usually a big deal. I was talking about um, uh, Hassan Zada's last opponent, James Wilson on Elm LFA. Nobody on this contender series that I'm, uh, that I'm talking about. Anthony Singh saying, buddy's name literally translates to father of YouTube. Is that true? Otets YouTube. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, lost perfect say lost prefix saying Hassan's out of by knee or kick, Markham. Possibly, poof on the people. Should you stop him by? Juice better saying took a half unit bet on the over one and a half. Ooh, ballsy, ballsy, ballsy. Erpem Erpogem saying uh, under one and a half was my violence bet for the card. There you go. Both on the beat saying, Luck, did you get a chance to watch the face-offs for the contenders? I did not. A bit of side difference in a few of the, these fights always makes me super nervous to be on the smaller guys. How much stock do you put into the size? It, it depends on the fight and the matchup, right? Like, if it's a wrestler who has the size, then okay, I get it. Um, I'll have to watch them back, but, like, I don't think it's swaying me too much just by seeing the metrics that I've seen on topology. Web saying, what's uh, MMA Lock of the Night fan? What's good, MMA Lock of the Night fan? Nothing much, brother. Appreciate you stopping by. Zach Johnson in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by as well. Uh, Dr. Smegma Jones. Dude, how, how many more fights does Lou Sass have to win before he gets a chance at the UFC? He's the best welterweight. Do we have a... You know what? I don't put up with that shit. <laughs> Clear... Clear trolling. Uh, father of YouTube. Appreciate that, my friend. All right. So like I said, Ivan Valenzuela would be the pick, but violence or the under one and a half would be the way that I go here. All right. Last fight, main event. Fun fight here. We got Thomas Paul 
coming in against Esteban Ribovix. Uh, in terms of odds, we're getting minus 245 on Rebovix and plus 205 on Thomas Paul. That makes Paul the biggest underdog on the card and uh, Esteban the biggest favorite on the card. Interesting fight here between a slugger and Thomas Paul, who, man, tape on this guy looked very rough. You know, there's a lot of fights where he's getting grinded out, and then he just so happens to win some of these fights. The, the Matthew Holland fight, he's getting grinded out by a 5-7 and seven guy. And then I think Matthew Holland ended up shredding his knee or something and then gets TKO'd in the second round. Um, what was the uh, Aleko-Sagliani fight? Sagliani taking this guy down without, without much issue, grinding on him from on top and then taps because I think he like broke his hand or something. So he just wanted out of the fight. So the first two fights of Thomas Paul, I see he wins pretty much by injury. <laughs> I mean, then the Joe Cummins fight. Joe Cummins gets him. Uh, Joe Cummins actually was a highly touted prospect going into that fight. You know, the the Golden Ticket Fight Promotions commentator guys were only talking about Joe Cummins that whole time, and then Thomas Paul was able to land a big shot on him. Eventually, get that guillotine choke. Or sorry, it was uh, Joe Cummins that got the, the big shot on Thomas Paul, and then got that finish. So good work from Joe Cummins there. Uh, and then Thomas Paul has followed that up with three straight KO victories. But like again, the the Mario Saeed fight, getting grinded out for two rounds, not really showing much off of his back, not really showing the greatest get-ups either. No real good mechanics in terms of getting back to his feet. And that's the big red flag for me as Esteban seems like a guy that could take advantage of that. Uh, the Perry-Andre Goodwin fight was the one that uh, stamped Thomas Paul's ticket to the contender series. You know, Goodwin, uh, a regional stand, not really a standout, I should say, but a regional uh, uh mainstay i should say you know a guy that's usually on the cage warrior fights taking uh big shots against uh you know some big names there right morgan Cherrier, steve amable reese mckee jack grant these are all guys that this guy has faced on the on the regional scene or at least over there in cage warriors and thomas paul was able to go out there and knock him stiff out like bad bad knockout so thomas paul what he brings to the table it's questionable takedown defense no real ground game Big power in his hands, and that's what he's going to have to lean on here against Esteban, who has a clean, crisp striking game. Very impressed with what I've been seeing with him on the feet. Um, he is now training out of, uh, where is he now? I know he changed. Oh, yeah, he's over there at Kilcliffe FC. He's moved on from Argentina. Even with the 10-0 record, has decided to move up to Kilcliffe FC, and uh, he has still managed to keep his undefeated record intact. One thing that I see often with this guy is that when he does get taken to the ground or if his opponents look to take him to the ground, the, the Kimura trap is something that he likes to use a lot, whether it's to reverse his opponents, whether it's to get a submission, right? He actually has two on his record via Kimura or two submissions on his record via Kimura or just to, you know, give the guy something to think about. Because a lot of times, a lot of these guys want to get him to the ground, but he shows good takedown defense. He go, shows the ability to reverse position he gets takedowns of his own, but even on the feet, he has big power. In his last two fights, they combined for 34 seconds. He knocked out his second last opponent in seven seconds. The last opponent knocked down in 27 seconds. So big power in his hands, solid jiu-jitsu game, solid wrestling game, in my opinion. And especially working over there at Killcliffe FC, gotta believe that he's a shoe in to go in there and get this finish with relative ease. So I lean uh Val or sorry, I lean uh Rebovix. And I do think at a certain point, he's going to be able to pull off a submission victory here. So another spot where I wouldn't mind violence while wow, fight is going to decision is minus 650. Insane. 
under one and a half is minus one ninety five. That one might get sketchy, right? Because I think Esteban could grind him a little bit. It might take seven and a half minutes to grind down Thomas Paul. And then from there, he might be able to find the finish, maybe late second round, early third round. But I'm not confident enough in actually pulling the trigger on the over one and a half. I'm expecting Thomas Paul to come in there with like a bat out of hell, honestly, to to throw big shots, land big shots, and then eventually get um, or uh, try to get Esteban out of there with one of those big shots. But I think uh, Esteban will play it safely. I think he'll be able to counter effectively with the takedown, grind Thomas Paul, but I think eventually he'll be able to pull off a submission, plus 275 for Rebovics to win via decision or submission. I think that's the way to go in this spot. All right. That is pretty much a wrap. Uh, I usually drop a degenerate parlay to do for this card or for these contender series cards. I won't have any official bets on this card. Uh, I'm a little bit sketched out by the, you know, level of uh, talent, you know, the the closeness of these fights, very sketchy. And then add in the whole, you know, Dana White, be spectacular so, or be Joe Pfeiffer to get a contract. That whole thing is weighing on me a little bit too much. But if I were gun to my head, put together an unofficial degenerate parlay, it would definitely have to be Ribovix plus Libero and Van. Uh, sorry, let me say that again. Ribovix and uh, the Hibero Valenzuela fight doesn't go to decision parlay. Put those two together. That should be enough. Urban asking a question that it will more than likely be answered on the MMA Lock Talk if you want to come back at 4 p.m. Eastern, my friend. Zach Johnson saying, I never feel good about betting the smaller fighter. I could see that. Beat Fanatic saying, never bet women's MMA. I disagree. That is where I am strongest, is women's MMA. Urban saying, do you have a total parlay for the contender series? I do not, but if I were to make one, I would rather go with fights go to decision or doesn't go to decision and I'd go fight doesn't go to decision for Sadikov and Hassan Zara. Fight goes to decision for Cowan and Leite. And then fight doesn't go to decision for the rest of those three fights ending off that card. Beat Fanatic saying, I got a parlay of Sadikov, like it, Cartwright, like it, Valenzuela, like it, and Rebovix, like it. Sadikov, Cartwright, and Valenzuela fights will be close. But I think you cash that parlay. Like, I realize this is a contender series show, but I got to know after Saturday, do you think Chito would be champ at 135? The hype shot O'Malley more. Still, I can't figure this out. Um, I don't think he'll be able to get past those top two or top three guys. I think that finish reliance style will come back and bite him in the ass eventually. All right. Uh, I will be back at 4 p.m. Eastern to the to do the MMA Lock Talk to answer any and all questions that you guys have, whether it's about this weekend's card, whether it's about last weekend's card, whether it's about a fight that takes place in November. I'm happy to talk about any and everything on, on the MMA Lock Talk. So make sure you guys come back on through for that. Um, I'll be staying super busy today with updating the uh, tape index, updating the Lock of the Night and Dog of the Night Challenge standings, and... Um, studying for UFC 278, as well as watching the Contender Series at 8 o'clock tonight, and possibly, 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 possibly doing the MMA Lawcast tonight after the Contender Series wraps up. So full day of work, full day of content headed for you, boy. I apologize to anybody that I haven't been able to get back to, whether you're in my DMs or wherever the fuck. This is where you guys can find me. MMA Lock Talk, 4 p.m. Eastern. MMA Lawcast later tonight. Love you guys. Good luck on your best this evening. And for the next Contender Series breakdown, I'll be back on Sunday. 
Sunday, Sunday, Sunday for week five breakdowns. All right. Love you guys. Drop a like and subscribe below if you haven't already. And uh, I'll see you again at 4 p.m. Eastern. Peace.